What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, beautiful people. Uh, this week, Bridie and I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Yuval Mann. Uh, Yuval is a teacher and founder of Sensual Alchemy School of Integrated Sexuality. And uh, to be honest with you, I absolutely adored this conversation. Uh, it made me think a lot about like horny mindfulness. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure Yuval wouldn't use that phrase, but um, it was just a really beautiful conversation. Uh, we get to chat with Yuval about erotic aliveness, uh, contact dance, and the illusion of separation of the individual. Um, Yuval's a beautiful human, and we absolutely loved chatting with him, and we think you will too. So enjoy, and we'll see you on the other side. Uh, okay, well, we are uh, we're going to be diving into... Uh, some sensual talk, some sexual talk, maybe mm-hmm. some talk about sensual alchemy, perhaps. Oh, I like alchemy. I like that as a word. I'm writing that down. I do. Yeah, me too. Um, what does that word mean? Alchemy? Yeah, so it's like a magic chemistry. It gives me that like magic chemistry feel. It, it, yeah, it's like uh, alchemy is like like an ancient branch of like like 
like philosophy and chemistry. It's like a, it's like medieval chemistry, I guess you could put it. Medieval chemistry. Um, uh, I could be, I could be off on that, but uh, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure, like historically, that's kind of where it comes from. But in this case, I think we're talking about something a little bit different. Maybe, okay. perhaps, I don't know. We're about to find out. We're throwing it to our guest today, Yuval. Uh, Yuval, nice to first of all, nice to meet you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for coming. Secondly, nice to meet you too, guys. I mean, let's just kick it off. What is to you? What is what is sensual alchemy? Um, so you said it quite uh, about right. Originally, it's um, medieval chemistry and a bit of uh, witchcraft and dark magic. But I think that in a modern jargon, it refers to taking one thing and turning it into another thing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a sublimation or um, alchemizing something. So in this particular context, um, I think three years ago when I um, launched my first uh, video course, um, I was kind of thinking, how should I call this new venture that I'm going into? And I kind of let that sit with me for a while. And then one day I just woke up with this word um, in my in my head, sensual alchemy. And it resonated with me because it's um, it always has been like a leading theme for me. I feel, I feel like my sexual exploration was never just about sex, how to be better at sex and do the technical things better, but more so how to use sexuality as a powerful tool for growth, empowerment, evolutionary expansion, healing, and both individually and collectively. Um, so sensual alchemy was the name of the, um, yeah, the first kind of pulse that I, of a course that I put out there. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Those words are so important and the words that we choose to what it evokes for a person. Like I had to ask Jeremy what that meant, but I already, I already sort of felt I sort of felt it and it's different. If you had, if you had called it sexual chemistry, I would have had a completely, not a completely different idea of what we're talking about, but just a different feeling about right. what we're talking about. Well, you were, you relate. I mean, you know, sexual chemistry. Yeah. It's like we, we hear that fucking all the time. Yeah. But we relate to that from the, from the vantage point of like, do two people, you know, do two people combine, do two people connect like mm-hmm. that kind of like sexual chemistry, sexual, sexual alchemy. I mean, that's there's it's a little more intimate, a little more. Yeah, a little there's more like, like a bit of a dance to it, a little, little, little bit of mystique mm-hmm. to it, you know, like a little bit of mystery. Mm-hmm. I like yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I would love to I would love to talk about this uh, concept of. Like personal growth through sexuality. Um, what does that mean to you? You know, because like I, I, I feel like uh, I feel just for context, like I feel like there was a time in my life in my adult life where I began to like, like I entered, I entered my, like my, my like slut phase later in life, you know? And, and I found that in that period of time where I was, I was, um, I was having like casual, like I had casual partners and I was, I was, I was like exploring myself sexually quite, uh, in a, in a deeper way than I ever really had before. Um, in retrospect, looking back at that period of time in my life, I do feel like there was a lot of personal growth throughout that period. Mm. Um, but I've never really thought about it. And I've never really thought about how my, maybe my sexual um, experiences kind of played a role in that personal growth. So 
to you, like when you, when you say using sexuality as a, as a, as a tool to grow, what does that mean to you? And like, what kind of growth are we talking about? So if you think about it, sex is not something that we do. It's really what we are. It's what everything is. Everything comes to, into being in a beautiful, magnificent, evolutionary unfolding through the act of sex. When we say sex, um, sometimes the photos that come to our head is like pornographic imagery. Mm. But sex is just the act of how everything in existence is erotically longing for connection, all the elements to connect with other elements in order to produce new life. It's how everything unfolds. So to me, um, as I came to discover through my own personal direct experience, my sexuality is a microcosmos of this entire evolutionary unfolding. So when I'm, when I'm thinking about growth, when I'm thinking about individual and collective growth, which to me are the same, it's all intimately interconnected. I'm, I don't exist as an individual outside of the ecology that I emerged from. But when I think about growth, uh, individual growth and collective growth, I think about this sexual pulsation of evolutionary movement. So through opening up to what sexuality can mean for me, I open up to my next step in my evolution, right? Um, just like reality does. Um, genuinely, I like to study from nature. There's looking at the natural world and how things are. And I feel like all the wisdom that we need to navigate this oftentimes confusing human experience can come from just looking at how the evolutionary process unfolds and all the principles that come from it. And it can teach us a lot. And I feel like our attitude towards sexuality is one of these things. Hmm. Something that like, strikes me about what you're just saying is the word, I think about the word libido and this idea of like a life, that libido is like life force, is like life energy. It's just your your libido is almost like your energetic capacity to engage with anything um, in a really intimate way. Um, the intimacy of like being present. Um, and and I really, like I just want to explore this this more, this question that Jeremy asked about like the transformative or, or the, the, the alchemy of like that type of energy channeled into something else. That's, that's the kind of what my mind reaches for when I, when I think about that Jeremy's question, which is like, if, if I have a healthy libido, so like if I have, uh, my life force, my energy is not being dampened by, let's say, like things that I do to my body, things I put in my body, fogginess of my brain, then if if I have the full capacity and the full use of my energy, be it sensual, sexual, everything that my energy contains, then I can I can use it to fuel any action that I undertake or anything that I engage with, but it's still, it still feels kind of murky. It still feels like kind of untangible. Is there, is there anything in what I just said that kind of seems in line with how you see things or can we like find a way to, um, 
meet on the bridge here and and get a little more clarity about what what how do we use our sexual energy to yeah to grow we, we can make it a lot more practical you know okay. i like to start from the like high level philosophy aspect of how i see it it can sound a little bit um amorphic or poetic but i feel mm. like this is this is really where the difference between what we refer to as sexuality and eroticism kind of is like eroticism mm. is the poetic is the um, the mysterious aspect mm. of it which mm-hmm. i which i love to touch but yeah let's make it really really kind of uh, practical so go to any kind of sexual the current let's say the current sexual experience that you're having whether it's challenges struggles problems uh, questions whatever that might be and usually people come to me when they men often have premature ejaculation erectile dysfunction performance anxiety um, challenges connecting with people um, intimately or, or experiencing the kind of sexual abundance that they want to experience women come with Similar things, a lot of times challenges, uh, reaching an orgasm, uh, general, um, also performance anxiety, disconnect from their body, from their pleasure, from their, you know, physical embodied wisdom. Um, And my process is, okay, we can talk about all these things as if, you know, like the, the the talk therapy. You know, like, let's talk about it. Where does it come from? Where is it arising in your childhood and the patterns? Recognize them, talk about them, all this kind of stuff. There is something that I love to do a lot more than that, which I feel is kind of lacking in the, you know, the current um, therapeutic modalities that, that we engage with, which is let's take whatever it is that you are experiencing and use that as a doorway to ask ourselves very powerful questions like, who are you? Who are you in the grand scheme of things? Who are you as a sexual being? What is your relationship with your body as a body? What is your relationship with the ecosystem that you emerge from? Um, What does sexuality mean for you? Why are you in relationships? Why do you want to connect with people sexually? Um, And on and on and on, right? And in this way, we are not just talking in an individualistic, local way of like what is the thing that you're experiencing and one two three four how we can solve it but rather we open up a doorway for a really big expansion of their very identity Mm. Um, and oftentimes in my experience at least working with people in this field those questions a lot of times when we really open up to them and then develop individualistic individualized practices and to connect with those things that we discovered a lot of the pro- problems and challenges that people initially come from naturally solve themselves out without too much um, kind of like attention or, or strategy around them. Um, so this alchemy, this using sexuality as a tool for growth can look like many, many, many different ways. And I, I'm happy to get into mo- even more specifically into each of the sexual problems that I mentioned, but let me know how that resonates so far. Yeah. So, so far that makes a ton of sense. And I also want to say, I love starting out high level and, and the poetry of it, because I, like I said, I think that it really matters how we feel about the conversation going into it. And I love, and and I think a poetic approach to describing it is, is apt and and appropriate. Um, Do you, do you have a follow-up question? I think I just need to think about what you just said for a second um, with regards to 
personal growth and transformation. I think, I think I'm hungry to hear about not the specific sexual issues that people come with and, and the process of dealing with that, but more, I guess, like what happens when the people that you're working with or when anybody opens up that, um, part at, of themselves to investigate and then perhaps feels more, um, like present with their sexuality through their day, through their lives and in, in everything that, that they're, they're doing. I think I'm, I'm waiting to hear if there's like, is there a moment of ignition where it's like, I have this and I am, I am like transcending or I have this and I'm evolving to the, the next level. Like, what does it, I guess, what does it feel like when that is in motion, in the motion of transformation? Like, what do you see happening in the lives of people when they start a lot of really world. beautiful things um just something that really uh, kind of intuitively came to mind when you were talking about that um is a client that i had um not that long ago that came to me initially because she had a lot of challenges uh, arriving to an orgasm um with herself and with a partner and through the this kind of poetic you know, work that we did together combined with some more practical stuff and like, you know, self-pleasure practices and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And something clicked and she was going through some form of like a sexual liberation thing. Like she really opened up. She realized eventually that she had to break up with that boyfriend. She started dating someone else and had like the most intense, beautiful sexual experiences she've ever had. And through that kind of expansion, she wrote to me one day that um, she just, she haven't touched, she, she's, she sings and uh, plays piano pretty beautifully. And she expressed to me how she didn't touch either of these things for years. And through this sexual liberation, she came back to, 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 sing, to singing, to playing, the, to playing the piano and just felt this incredible expansion of artistic um, desire to to create and to me those things are deeply interlinked you know like mm -hmm. if we are talking about sexuality as a life force um when i feel alive when i feel most inspired when i feel most open to receive the, in, the intuition the, the 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 inspiration from the universe from things around me and i'm most likely to put the most beautiful artistic stuff out there this is when I'm also feeling the most turned on, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. That makes so much... <laughs> Esther Perel always says, like, uh, what what do you do to turn yourself on? What do you do to turn yourself off? And I just love that creative expression is, like, the first thing that popped into your mind because mm -hmm. um, in terms of, like, transformative tools, like, I really believe we're both artists, like, really believe in... Um, the artistic desire to create and that is in all of us and what does what drives us to strive and like create change in our lives and in the world that we live in so i just i just love that, that that's yeah. what came up first it, it makes sense that those two i mean in my mind it just makes sense that those two things are linked like when i think about times where 
<clears throat> I feel creatively stunted. It's, you know, it's times where like maybe uh, I'm struggling with my mental health, you know? And like, if I looked at that and compared it to times where sexually I'm, I'm, I'm not in a, in a space where I feel like I can be turned on or where I, where I even ha- like have a, a, a remote drive to be in that, in that space. Again, those are oftentimes where, where it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm having mental health struggles or, you know, like it's it like high stress environments or, you know, there's, there's, it's like those, those are direct links for me where like my create creativity suffers, but it's also the points in life where my, like yeah. my, you know, my intimate life suffers, my sexual life suffers. Um, I can really, yeah. really, really resonate with that, you know, um, and this is where we can get into, uh, you know, kind of when it happens to me, um, something like that or a period of that sort, first of all, I don't resist it because this is the, another thing that we can learn from the natural world. We emerged from things have all the sides, white doesn't exist, light doesn't exist without darkness, life without death. We go in ebbs and flows and waves at the same time when I, feel that I'm at my low creatively or sexually, I like to engage in something that I like to call seducing myself, right? Mm. We think about sexuality always in most of the time in relation to another person. When the first person that you are making love with is yourself and the immediate environment that you touch, you are constantly in a process of lovemaking with, with reality, with life. So it's not just about your um, genitals. It's about how clothes feel on your skin. Are you really wearing something that is comfortable and feels nice and lush, you know? Um, How do you ingest food? You know, are you just chugging it in really quickly just to get to the next thing while watching something? Or are you really savoring the moment and enjoying the sensual experience of putting it in your mouth and feeling it going down, how it sits in your stomach and mm, just luxuriating in it? Mm. How you breathe? Breath is a, is a really powerful one. You know, it's something that we cannot live without. We can live for a while without water, without food for some time. Without breath, we cannot do with more than a few seconds, right? Mm-hmm. It's the first thing that we do when we come into this world and the last thing that we do. An inhale and an exhale at the end. And we, most of the time, it happens just unconsciously without us even noticing. What happens when you notice a breath? Try it with me right now. Just notice one breath from start to finish all the sensations like uh, how it fills your entire body with life, you know? Mm. That to me is is bringing me back to this sense of, of sensuality, to this, and that turns me on eventually. Mm. Um, and then the creativity kind of flows uh, again. Yeah, I love that. It's, uh, you know, it's, I mean, like everything that you just said, um, you could, you could say the exact same words for, I mean, you're just speaking, it's, it's mindfulness. It's just a, a practice of mindfulness. Um, but it's like horny mindfulness, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's mindfulness from, from the vantage point of like sensuality where it's oh where, you know, <clears throat> like if you, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're like, cause when I, when I, when I, when I innately just think of mindfulness or the practice of mindfulness, um, I don't think about it from the vantage point of like sensuality or, 
or you know like like words you were using there of like of of lushness or you know deliciousness like it's i just i i think of mindfulness from a more um I guess, uh, like, to, I be, am to be frank, like, my, yeah, just fuck, I am noticing my clothing. Fucking boring. Like, yeah, like the boring, <laughs> the boring version, but which, which even the boring version is very important and like, and, and should be something that we, we all sort of, <clears throat> you know, strive to incorporate more into our lives. But to just, just to hear you put it that way and to relate it, to speak to it that way, where it allows me to kind of pair it or relate it to just a, just a simple mindfulness practice. Except yeah. skewing that mindfulness practice to be just a little bit more about the way that you find every moment to be sensual. That that's that really that's really digestible. Like yeah. it's a really digestible way of of going. Cause like, you know, you said earlier, it's like like seducing yourself. Well, of course, someone hears that and they go, okay, what do you mean? Like, like how do I, how do I like, how do I get myself into the mood to jack off? Like, is that where you, you know, like, like you just immediately have, I think a lot of us would just like immediately think of this particular sort of way of, of defining seducing yourself. What does that look like? But when you break yeah, it down it, like that, it's, it's really, I mean, it's beautiful. It's like a really beautiful and, yeah. and kind of digestible practice. Sorry. No, 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 no. It's, it's really the difference between sexuality and sensuality, mm. you know? which are deeply intertwined, but also, you know, don't have to happen together. Like you can have sexuality that is completely devoid of any sensuality, meaning there is no connection and presence with the senses. And you can have sensuality, which is very seductive and like you said, delicious and Mm. kind of like connected also without sexuality at all. And actually I feel like, a lot of times I love to, and it's something that a lot of people, especially men in our culture are, are deprived of. I feel like it's something, it's a space that I like to kind of marinate in before I even get to genital mm. sex, right? Mm-hmm. I like to stay in this erotic aliveness that is being created when I connect with another person and feel this deliciousness of connecting with them and feeling them and smelling them and like really connecting with all the senses and noticing the eros awakening in my body and this excitement so palpable so so sensory and just staying with that just enjoying that and that in and of itself can be orgasmic and satisfying and beautiful and expensive Um, and it doesn't have to lead uh, to sex and it can but it doesn't have to and i feel like this is where that becomes like a way of living right Mm. like you become a sensualist rather than um there is like sex and then this is where we experience those sensations and it's compartmentalized. And then there is the rest of my life, which I just, you know, do whatever. And mm-hmm. um, so it's, it's, it's comes down to presence. Yeah. You must've come up against this with some of the people that you work with, like people, people who are maybe, um, inhibited, inhibiting themselves from being sensual in their lives. Uh, because they're afraid it is going to send the message that they want sex or that, or that it will lead to sex. Like there is almost like a, a zone of sensuality where, um, at least for me, uh, as I've been socialized is like a little bit 
dangerous to just like walk around the world like that because people can misinterpret that or, you know, being leaky with your sexual energy. I could be a little bit leaky with it or, or just like, you know, anyone who's listening to this, I am sure has had the moment in life where you're like, you know that you are particularly magnetic. Like you're walking around the world and like people are like, for some reason, maybe you're in a mood, you're carrying some kind of energy, but like people want to talk to you. They want to engage with you. Like this used to happen on occasion with me, especially after like an acting class or like some sort of transformative workshop that I would have gone to. And I go out into the city and I'd wander around and people on the subway would be like, just start conversations with me. And I guess Mm -hmm. like, I guess I'm just Mm-hmm. handing out this energy everywhere. But if I was to walk around like that with my sensuality on full mm. blast, I think it would be a lot of like energy to just be like, yes, this, but not that, you know, like there would always be this inside me, this feeling of like, not too much, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure I'm, and I'm sure like in couples, if you have, if you, I'm not sure if you work with couples, but where there is sort of like that hesitancy to engage in sort of erotic play or sensual play because one or both of the partners are like, ah, but I, I want to do this, but I really don't want to do it if it's going to lead to sex. Cause that's not Mm -hmm. where I'm at right now. Yeah. Um, I actually do work with couples uh, more and more now, Mm -hmm. but, um, specifically before that, I want to uh, refer to what you said about like this experience of walking down the street, which, Mm unfortunately still um mostly probably speaks from a woman's perspective in in society like walking around and feeling the palpable danger of just just being a woman and then being an open woman is is even more and and yes there's a lot to speak to that point and there is a place for for nuance and context there and how to put energetic boundaries to feel safe in your body Mm -hmm. to be safe um, and other than that, when I'm talking about sensuality or being a sensualist, first of all, it doesn't have to happen on the street. You can, you know, you mm-hmm. spend a lot of the times in enclosed spaces in your own home. So, you know, you're waking up, how you, how you move, how you step, how you breathe, how you eat, how you walk, and on and on and on. Um, and second of all, it doesn't have to look very outwardly sexual. You know, it's it's a very simple, you know, like just taking a moment, closing your eyes outside, feeling the sun on your skin, taking a deep breath. You know, you know, it's it's mm. a very, very innocent kind of. Um, and regarding couples, uh, yes, <laughs> I think that couples should definitely learn to engage more in non-sexual intimacy mm. intentionally. Like, let's do that. Um, and there is a place of communication there. Like, hey, here's what I want. Um, you know, there is this habitual drive to, oh, if we started hugging, then started kissing, then started touching sensually, then that has to lead to sex. Mm -hmm. And it can lead to sex. And of course it could, but there's also a lot that we miss when we don't allow ourselves to stay and marinate in that space. First of all, we know that, um, especially women need at least um, 20 to 30 minutes of foreplay in order to even start getting aroused. And then another 15 to some, sometimes 30 to 45 minutes before they can arrive to, um, you know, a, a climax. But regardless of that, you know, like, so yes, of course, 
staying in the sensuality is very important for that purpose, but also for men and in general, like just being in this orgasmic space and just staying there and enjoying. There is such powerful expansion and healing and joy um, and deepening of intimacy that happens there that, yeah, it's just people miss. I, uh, I've been doing this thing recently. I, I've been taking the bus more in the city and a lot of times the sun goes down earlier now. So it's darker at, earlier and I'm waiting at the, but I'll be waiting at the bus stop and I'll close my eyes and I'll notice as soon as I close my eyes, it feels uh, firstly a little bit unsafe because there's just people it's nighttime. It's dark. There's like, I'm on a busy street, but I'm just sitting there at the bus stop with my eyes closed. And it's amazing how alive my, my system becomes when mm. I close my eyes in that, uh, situation. Cause I'm like, okay, now I'm listening and I'm like, I'm dealing with the thoughts that come up. Like maybe someone's going to walk by and brush me and, or bump me and I'm going to get knocked up, whatever, whatever it may be. But there's first, there's like a feeling of it being very risky to close my eyes in a public space like that and then and just be in the space and then um that when you were talking about that sort of like excitement that eros that like rises and you can you can hold it i feel it in those mm. moments it's really interesting and th there's nothing sexual about that but i might now describe that as a sensual hmm. experience because I feel interesting. Like I am sensu like I am sensing the world around me. Yeah. So it's not a my body. It's not like, a fight or flight sense. No, it's like ooh, it's like a little bit of a weird thrill. Ah, yeah. interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. You should try that while driving. <laughs> <laughs> See how thrilling that, that sounds thrilling. <laughs> <But> Maybe don't. <laughs> no, I will not. I can barely you know, it's, even it's also, blink. It's also something that um, uh, I teach men, especially when they come to me and they want to learn how to last longer or get full ejaculation control or um, and become multi-orgasmic, which is something we can talk about as well. The first thing that we are talking about is really noticing this, this space of sensory experience, especially when it comes to erotic aliveness. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, if, even in the language, we say, you turned me on or that turned me on. But there is a place to take back ownership of your turn on because nobody and nothing turns you on. You turn yourself on. It's all happening internally. When you see a beautiful, I tell them, when you see a beautiful woman walking down the street and you notice like a beautiful voluptuous movement and you feel this like mm, excitement in your belly, you can either, you, first the thought is like, mm, she turns me on. Like now I give away my power. Like now I need her. Right, I need her, so I either, if if I have balls to her, I'm gonna go and say something. I'm gonna take her number or something, but compulsively, not as a an inspired action, but compulsively because I have to, because I need her to to feel this, right? Yeah. Or in a lot of cases, I'm gonna feel ashamed about it in some way. I'm gonna look away, and then I'm gonna maybe like masturbate about it in the darkness when nobody is seeing, and kind of feel guilty about this whole interaction. Maybe there is another option. Maybe you can take back ownership on your erotic aliveness. And instead of putting the responsibility on her, on that, on this, on whatever, you notice that I'm turned on and I can turn myself on. Mm. And being in this space of being turned on is okay. It doesn't need to lead anywhere. It doesn't have to happen, right? 
I can go and speak to this person if I feel inspired and, and open and they signal openness and okay, you know, it feels respectable and, and beautiful in that moment. Why not? Again, I'll do it without any agenda because I don't need her, right? Mm -hmm. I'm inspired to have this dialogue or to, to see who this person is, but I don't need her. So it's going to reflect itself in the way that I speak and engage. But sometimes I'll choose not to because I realize that it's not about her. It's just an experience that I'm having and I can take that. And mm. like we said in the beginning, alchemize that into whatever creative expression that I want mm. into my work, mm -hmm. into if I have a partner and maybe we're in a monogamous exclusive relationship, instead of feeling guilty or thinking that, oh, what's wrong? I thought about someone else or found someone attractive. I take that. I let it expand in my body and then I channel it into my, my, my partner and in this way amplify our relationship and our intimacy and our sexuality. So you can use it in any way that you want, but at the bottom line, you took back the power, you know? Mm. And I think that's, that's something really beautiful. It's like this, I turn, I'm turned on. I, I turn myself on and here we are and it's beautiful. I, I really like that. Um, I love that. It, it reminds me of a conversation that we had recently um, with Bobby uh, about, you know, sexual intelligence and, and utilizing, like, like looking at your sexual energy and, you, and, and, and like putting that to use to optimize your day, right? And like, you know, when, when, she, when she brought that up in that, in that episode, I remember just being like floored thinking, oh, fuck, I've never thought about that. What a cool way to look at, you know, at your sexual energy and using it to an to your advantage to like just, you know, to have a whatever, a more productive or more like well, enjoyable day. Step. Yeah, exactly. And then hearing it, hearing this come from you right now, it's it's like, oh, yeah. And there's and there's a way to there's a way to put that that to action. Right. This this notion of like taking of of noticing you being turned on and going, I this is like this is. This is energy that I harness. This, this isn't is energy that just like body's energy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like you know, I've I've received it, 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 turning yourself into both a receiver and a a transmitter, right? So it's like, okay, I've received this energy from something on the outside, say this beautiful woman walking past. Um, but it doesn't just end there. Now I'm going to take that and I'm going to transmit it. You know, I'm going to like, I'm going to use that energy and I'm going to transmit it in whatever way that might be, whether that's just taking it and letting it, you know, uh, uh, have an effect on the way that you kind of move from A to B that day, or whether it's, you know, something direct, like making, making a, you know, making a, a, a an attempt to connect with this person or whatever it might be. I've, I love that. That's so, that's, uh, that's really fucking cool. And Taking it back to the poetic for just a moment, mm. when we say it's an opportunity, right? Like you say, this how you receive it and you bring it back and you feel it and you like, and it's all ultimately the same thing. Like when you really look, when you really observe, you know, the way that reality unfolds and what you are inside of this reality, you realize that the harder you look, no matter how hard you look, you cannot find anything in reality that has a center in which it's individually separated from everything else, mm -hmm. you know? When you say my body, right? And I feel like this is mine or my turn on or my body. What does it really that mean? This body, mm -hmm. where this body is an individual thing. It's made out of more than 70% non-human DNA. It's a bunch of amoeba and bio, you know, 
um, diversity and, 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 and different molecules and particles and, and chemicals that came from stardust. It's like, it's all intimately connected with everything. It's in, entirely reliant on its environment for oxygen, for sustenance, for everything. Even my thoughts, you know, if I refer to me as like my psychology, then my thoughts are also deeply influenced by, you know, um, my genetic my genetics, my, the memory that's passed on by genetics, my environment growing up, um, things that I consume and I look at and so on and so forth. So it's all interconnected. So when I say my body, my turn on, it's also the turn on of the cosmos, right? Like it's Ooh. flowing through me, like this, this, this aliveness. It's through that woman, through me, her, me, her, this, that. It's all the same, right? <laughs> um, and that kind of recognition, that kind of presence, allow me to recognize my place in the cosmos as that interconnected expression of life. And therefore, again, you know, use it, utilize it in beautiful artistic ways that amplify love, that amplify pleasure, that amplify expansion rather than diminish it, constrict it you know, bring more layers of shame and guilt about it mm. and make someone uncomfortable when I pursue them with tension in, in my, in my body. Right. Um, yeah. I love this it's sticking with the poetry. I love this visual of like, Jeremy, you were talking about like receiving and transmitting and you're talking about sort of like I'm visualizing almost like the flow of consciousness of like a river, you know, everything's connected and we're in, we're in the river all the time. And, and I was going to ask you about like how, how come, or, or how does it impact us when we're, we're like really, we're not separate, but it feels like to dip my toe in the river of sensuality and eroticism is like, it's that river's over there. And if I want that to be flowing through my day, then I need to like stretch, I need to like stretch myself to, to be more expansive, to include more of reality and energy, et cetera. But then, but then I'm thinking maybe it's not, it's not about that, but it's about like, if it is a river, it's like clear. It's like clearing the boulders. It's like okay, I already mm. I'm in. The, I'm in the whole. The, it's only one river. I'm in yeah. the whole river. Yeah. So I'm just gonna move yeah. the the boulders out of the way, so that I can be the most full expression mm -hmm. of the yeah. universe. You you move the boulder the boulders of separation, mm. the illusion of separation out of the way because there is nothing mm. outside of the flow of life. There is only the flow of life, right? Like there is no nothing else. So if anything, you're moving boulders of illusion of separation. The yeah. sense that oh, I am here and my best life is somewhere there. When I fix myself, heal myself, become better, do this, do that, right? Like become a more optimized being. And then you come back to this sensory experience and you're like, oh, it is here. <laughs> it is just that, exactly this. And this is where, where it's at. There's nowhere to go. There's no one to be, you know? Um, yeah. What is your, like, I mean, you know, th this is all, this is, it, it's very, it's very clear that you, you know, you, you are coming from a place that seems very, uh, very authentic and very dialed in. It, it feels, you know, I feel like if I was finding myself in a position where I was struggling with, you know, the way that I view how I approach my sexuality or, you know, my lack of sensuality, 
I feel like, uh, you know, having having a session with you would probably be something that would be really valuable um, just by the way that you navigate uh, the the I mean, just just by just by virtue of seeing the way that you speak about this, like it just seems like you have a really good grasp. And and it's it like a lot of the way that you speak, it really resonates and connects with me. Um, so to that point. If you know, if someone's listening to this right now and they're like, "Oh yeah, I think like I, fuck, I want to talk to you, Ball." Like, I feel like I could get something out of that. What does working like with you look like? You know, what is a if if it, whether it's a couple or or a man or a woman that you know wants to seek out what you have to offer? What is that? What do you what do you offer? What does it look like? You know, I'm always saying that I'm just talking about sex and orgasms, so people will pay attention. <laughs> and yeah, right. And then yeah. and then I can talk with them about you know the ecology of erotic aliveness and love and, and all these beautiful, you know, divine poetic things. <laughs> um, and, and ultimately have conversations about who they are, you know, uh, as, um, expression of, of aliveness. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do one-on-one work with people. I have also group, um, programs that I do, especially there is one coming in January specifically for couples. And it's all about this theme of reawakening erotic aliveness in committed long-term relationships, which is something that people sometimes struggle to, to maintain and find. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, there is this like battle, constant battle between connection, closeness, familiarity, which is phenomenal, wonderful, what we all strive for in a relationship to feel safe and belong. And then at the end, at the other side, there is the need for vanity, newness, mystery, which is all that sexual aliveness is thriving on. And those are both fundamentally important, but also at odds with each other. So the whole theme is like how to reconcile this. And we are going to touch it in in a lot of depth and also engage in some really beautiful embodiment practices that couples do together um, in order to kind of embody this kind of things that we are talking about. So a lot of like power dynamics and kinky approach to healing um, and all kinds of beautiful, wild things that we are going to do. And there is also video courses that are out there. Um, yeah, this is mostly what I'm offering right now. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. 
I loved um, the video. I think it's on your Instagram of uh, when you're talking about contact dance. And Mm. I, there's something that you said in that video or in the caption of that video uh, that I'm wondering if you, if not, if you could repeat, but if you could just talk about contact dance and, and uh, in the context of what you do, I think that'd be really nice for our listeners because they know that, you know, Jeremy and I come from an acting background. I come from a dancing background. Like we're, I'm a massage therapist. Like we're body Somatic practices are, yeah. yeah, like that's right. Yeah. We love that. Yeah. We love that. And there's just the video and the caption. I don't know what it was that ignited something for me, but I just love to hear you speak about that as a practice. I think we are telepathically connected somehow. I had this like, um, <laughs> you know, intuitive thought in the beginning of our conversation. And I was like, I've never talked about it in any podcasts. And it's something that I kind of starting to share more about this part of my life and me as as a mover, as a dancer Mm. in relation to erotic aliveness, especially in the, so there will be in the couple program thing, there will be a lot of stuff that's connected with movement. Mm. Um, So I thought about, I wish they will ask something about contact dance. I want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) And just explain what it is. We're all flowing through the same river. This is it. (laughs) Exactly. We're in the river. Yeah, and explain <laughs> explain what that is to to our listeners, just in case contact dance is like yeah. kind of vague for them. Yeah, so um, in general, contact dance or contact improv is this um, practice of movement improvisation with another person or a group of people, usually just another person that has no uh, kind of structure or choreography, or one is leading and one is following. It's just really finding this weightless middle in which something just emerged from the connection between your bodies. Um, sorry for any professional contact improv dancers out there, which have other explanations. <laughs> I've never studied anything. Um, I just, I was always naturally moving in this way. And every time, like even in, in social situations, I find myself when there is music and I'm like moving like this and slowly, if there is someone that is opening to that, like, our bodies start touching and contact improv started to happen. And this is something that happened throughout my life. I didn't even know what contact improv or contact dance even is. Um, and then later people saw me dance and they were like, oh, do you do contact? And I was like, oh, okay, there is something like that. Cool. Um, but I've never learned of studies outside of like one uh, contact improv intensive that I went on in, uh, in Thailand, which was phenomenal. But Ultimately, my journey with contact improvisation and with movement in general is super intimate with everything that we just spoke about here and my general attitude towards sensuality and sex because it's all about this somatic, intuitive flow. Um, Contact taught me in, in such beautiful, intuitive, poetic, and embodied way, not just in, 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 in concepts, that my body is not a separated thing, right? Like when you start getting into this like contact with another body, at first you feel all the points of kinks and tensions. You feel the, how does it look? Uh, do I look right? Will I do the right thing? What should I do next? This like power struggle, right? Like you feel it in yourself. You feel it in your partner by their movement and tensions. 
And slowly, you can together start to follow something a lot more subtle, a lot more intuitive, no thought, just body. Something that just permeates and pulsate through your body. It's almost as if there is like um, a flow of evolutionary movement that is just existing in your body all the time, that moves you. Um, and you just go for it. You know, just like when you're f- very primal things, like you feel that you're hungry, you feel that you're horny, you feel like whatever, you're following that. In the same way, there is also movement that is always happening. And then both of you kind of find that flow together. There is a place of complete weightlessness between you in which there is no effort. Your muscles are not like you see people in contact improv and contact dance, like almost flying each other in the air, like really going beautiful, you know, pirouettes in the air and it looks very effortful it looks like they are really tensing their mouth but no there is super it's like the art is to get to a point in which is complete you know cessation of of tension and there is just there is no you and them there is just movement and to me that is sexual bliss Right, like that's it. That is what it's all about, you know. Like w- when you go back to thinking about the sexual experiences that you've had that were most memorable, most unforgettable. Usually, it was these places in which you were with someone that you felt comfortable enough, and you you were allowed to completely forget who you are, like really lose yourself in the moment, get into this primal embodied flow. It was like. Whew, no planning, no goals, no trying to get to an orgasm, no, no thought, just sensations. And I feel like contact improv or, or move, just exploring movement, you don't have to call it names, you know, mm-hmm. just exploring movement and re- as a way to reconnect to your somatic wisdom is one of the most beautiful ways that you can do to become a better lover as well. Mm-hmm. One of our movement teachers used to say, uh, surprise yourself. Like, will you be in sort of some sort of improv exploration of on a theme or whatever in class? And it was always like, okay, these are movements I make every day in my pedestrian life. Like, how can I catch myself off guard? Like, how can I find something that my body's never done before? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. It's, I think of it so often and I usually will throw it in when I'm teaching like a yoga class sometimes. It's just like, because that's another practice that's so regiment. It's so like in this plane and in this plane and there, and we don't really like break out of those molds too often. So, um, yeah, but when I say it to yoga students, they're like, huh? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) But not I, the environment. Maybe. I mean, I, I'm I I'm thinking about like when you were describing contact dance. Uh, the whole time you were describing it, I was like, oh yeah, that just sounds that sounds like the experience of having sex. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's it's the experience of like especially in contact dance. It's like you get these moments where it's like it feels like you're in the groove. You're in the you're in this flow. And then you bump up. There's like a little awkward spot. You know, it's like, oh, we got to change positions here. It's a little, a little funny. <laughs> like, uh, and then, but then you get back into it. And, it, you know, it's it, sex is like that, very much like that. Um, but another thing that I was thinking about, and, and again, this, my thoughts are going to, back to, you know, 
harkening back to the times where we were in theater school or even even in, in like yoga teacher trainings, there are there are some people out there who are just innately very aware of their physical body. Um, uh, and maybe, you know, I don't know if that's like a genetic thing or if it comes from like, you know, a childhood that, that was, that, that included like athletics or I don't know, I don't know what it is, but like when I think about my mom, my mom is, is so physically unaware. Um, she's just one of those people that like, she goes through the world and it's like, she almost doesn't have a sense of like where her body begins, where it ends. Um, and, and I think, I think, you know, I think it's probably safe to say that a lot of people are familiar with what that might look like, or you meet someone who just like doesn't have that physical awareness. Oftentimes it's sort of, it presents itself in a way where almost like when you see a dog that doesn't realize it's, you know, a dog that's, that's, that think that doesn't think it's as big as, as it, as it is, you know? So it's like, it almost, it almost like lumbers into things accidentally. And, yeah, and clumsiness it just, yeah, is a bit of a word that mm-hmm. I prone to accident prone. Totally. Totally. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking about those, those folks, the people that just like perhaps don't have that innate sense of familiarity with the, their, their own body and the way that their body relates to the space that they're in. And I feel like a lot of times those people might not even be aware that they are in that position of, of like lacking self physical awareness. Um, so do you have any, like, do you have, like, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have any thoughts on like, on, on what it is that pe- like simple exercises or things that people can do to kind of just check in with their own physical awareness within the space that they're in? Like something they can do to kind of like almost test themselves to see like, am I physically aware or am I not? Yeah. Personally, I think it's a, um, it's a learned skill. Um, I mean, everything is connected, right? So it's also genetics and also our upbringings. Mm-hmm. And, and I know I grew up next to a mother that is very embodied, um, you know, studied all kinds of modalities and teaching a lot of stuff, like very in her body, like posture. She's like an Alexander a teacher and a mm-hmm. yoga teacher mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff. So a lot of like breath and posture and, you know, all of that. So I definitely received a lot from, from this as well. But I feel like it's also a learned skill um, mm-hmm. because as long as you have an awareness and as long as you have a body <laughs> and you are alive, um, you can come back to the body. You can come back to this primordial aliveness. Maybe a great way to do that is start where you're at, you know, in the, in the very space that you spend your day to day, just becoming more aware of sensations, like just stop a few times throughout the day, notice the sensation of the clothes on your mm. body. Mm-hmm. Notice the sensations, the weight of your body on a chair. Notice the posture of your spine. Maybe elongate your spine. This is something mentioning Alexander, also a very um, kind of influential thing in my life. There is a concept in, I don't know, for people who don't know, Alexander is uh, this method of of, um, movement and posture that was uh, developed by a guy named Alexander that was an Austrian opera singer in the 1800s. And he lost his voice one day and nobody knew what happened. Like no, no doctor understood what's going on. Like nobody could help him. Eventually he had this thought that maybe it's connected to how he's holding himself. 
he was like singing like that and very tensing up all of his spine and all of his muscles. And he was wondering what would happen if I, you know, start noticing my, um, my posture more. And through that process, he healed himself and got his voice back and through the process developed that uh, technique. But basically there is a concept of thinking it. So a lot of the, it's a very, very subtle, very soft kind of uh, therapeutic uh, thing, uh, process, technique, whatever you want to call it. You're thinking yourself into it. So when you say like, it's not fix your spine in like a strict way or relax your muscle, it's Ooh. soften. Mm-hmm. So right now you can, for everybody who's listening and also you guys, like you can notice your back muscles. And now we're just thinking about it, soften them, allow them to touch the chairs behind you more fully, just not relaxing it, just softening. And now think about your spine and allow it to elongate as if there is a cord that is attached to the top of your spine and it's just like pulling it upwards. And you can notice your, your body adjusting just by thinking about it, just by your awareness of that thing. Mm-hmm. So I think these, these very subtle things, like you see a lot of people sit and work a lot in front of a laptop these days. Just notice. Just notice the sensations. Notice the sounds. Notice the smells. Notice the, your environment. That's an amazing way to come. Another thing that I would say, and then I'll <laughs> give you back the mic. <laughs> Sorry if I'm talking too much. No. Um, feelings is also something that we tend to over-intellectualize. We have this way in Western psychotherapy um, and, you know, kind of mainstream therapy talk to pathologize and intellectualize our feelings. What, What is feelings really? It's first and foremost, bodily, somatic, sensual sensations, right? Like it's sensations. And now we know it also neurologically. First, you get a bodily sensation, a reaction in your nervous system. And then your brain is making up, your prefrontal cortex is making up a, a, a story about what that means and what is the next prediction based on everything that it knows. It calculates the next thing that you're supposed to do and what it means, right? But first, there is a somatic experience. And this is something that in, in the West we are largely detached from. Um, which is a great exp- uh, direct expression of how we are detached from the ecology around us, mm. the, the, the ecosystem that we emerge from. And so also feelings starting to come back. Like when you feel something, when you have intensity of feeling and sensation, where is it in my body, right? Usually it will be somewhere here on the central channel. We usually don't get some feelings in your legs. You get feelings somewhere between your pelvis and the top of your head. Where is it? A lot of times things that have to do with um, things that have to do with turn on, with um, arousal or in the area of the genitals and the pelvis, things that have to do with anxiety or excitement or in the belly, you know, butterflies in the stomach, as we call it. And you have gut reaction, you know, all of these things. My heart is broken. My heart is breaking. I've been to a heartbreak. Like all of these things we refer to them from the body, but we don't really if we don't really work with them in that way, you know, we just say it, but then intellectualize it here. Mm-hmm. So another, another way is to like 
even when you don't feel an intense experience, but just like, what is my mood? Try to notice what is your mood, general mood right now. Not in a word, not in a concept, in a sense. Like, hmm. <laughs> it's subtle, but it's, it brings you immediately back to the body. Mm. I just love the, I love this work so much. Yeah. It's another, just talking about that heartbreak and that, that, that intensity of emotion when you, when you actually, and I think that's probably why a lot of people avoid it is because it can be quite physically uncomfortable to like feel that inside of you mm -hmm. and, and, um, and obviously jump to intellectualize it first, but like another acting exercise that I've tried out on yoga students and it does not fly is like, okay, so what if that, that broken heart is informing all of the movement that you make? Like where, like if you, if, if you could like lead yourself through some movement leading from that broken heart, like your heart is literally guiding the movement. Like what, does that expression look like in your body? Mm. And, or if you have like twisted up snakes in your abdomen cause you're, or your belly, cause you're sick about something with anxiety, then like, what if those snakes started moving up into your arms mm -hmm. or like into mm -hmm. your legs, you know, and just like, let's really embody that feeling. Let's mm -hmm. put it, let's just like lean into it. Yeah. Play with it a little. <clears throat> yeah. And like, and for anybody who, it, for, you know, because I'm sure there's a lot of you and I, we, we like this is what we grew up with, you know, like throughout through the practices of, of whether it be yoga or or, you know, um, you know, a lot of this work is stuff that you touch on in, in acting school in a, in a conservatory style training. Um, so like we're super familiar with this. I think there's a lot of people out there that like might hear this type of stuff and, and go, eh, I don't know, like it just seems a little woo to me. But just consider, you know, like if you if you're if you're at all familiar with therapy, um, there's a good chance that you've done like emotion focused therapy. You know, like it's it's very common, just probably just as common as something like CBT might even be a part of CBT. I'm not sure. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know what they what they train. But like, I've you know, I've seen a number of therapists and almost every single one of them will touch on emotion focused therapy, which is like which is exactly what we're talking about right here. It's, oh, you're, you're having a feeling. Where do you feel that in your body? Not what, you know, not, not what does it feel like, but just like where, just place it. You're feeling anxious. Where do you feel that anxiety? Where in your body? And just through the process of recognizing where these like emotions are felt allows you to just kind of have a better sense of like what the fuck's going on in your, in your world. You know, what's like, what is it that you're struggling with? Um, so, you know, Although this might sound like some of the stuff for someone might sound a bit like ethereal and woo. And I mean, these are, these are practices that are, that are tried and true, tried and true and scientifically like proven to make a massive difference in the way that you just show up in your, in your day-to-day -day life. Um, and I think my, my favorite part of this conversation so far is hearing all of these like modalities that we've kind of been, you know, this, this alchemy that we've been talking about from the beginning um, and just placing it into a, a space that is focused on, on the sensual. Because I, I just, I don't know. It's just like, it, it, again, it, I feel like it's, it's a really great way of taking something that I think some people feel is very 
intangible and woo and maybe like like I don't know like new agey or new something. agey or cringe or whatever, but puts it in a way where it goes where where it's like again, like I said earlier, it's digestible. It's like oh yeah, right. <laughs> I can do that. Like I can do this. Yeah, I mean, and and uh, sorry for my French, but fuck new age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This, this, the, the, all of these things, like really, if, if someone thinks that feeling is woo, I don't know what to tell them because <laughs> feeling and sensation is what we are. Like you don't exist as something that is not a feeling. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> feeling is what you are. That's it. Period. Like this is your human experience. This is what your body is. This is what everything is. This entire existence is feelings and sensations. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. And I think that. Um, it's it's definitely not new age because these things are what I'm talking about at least this ecological perspective of interconnectedness is coming back to the most primordial aspect of ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's something that actually um, a lot more old, a lot older and more ancient uh, um, human cultures that have largely been erased um, over the years by mostly colonialism um, were very connected to. Because think about it, um, a culture that is more connected to the land, more connected to the forest, is more connected to these powers of the, of the land, the powers of the forest. They are more connected to the aliveness that we all emerged from, and therefore they are more connected to body, to mm. body not as an individual thing, my body. In the new age, embodiment became just another um, you know, buzzword, like mindfulness. Yeah, yeah. Some people like to call it mech mindfulness. Mm. Everything, even therapy in, in, in many ways, there's nothing wrong with therapy, obviously, but in many ways, the westernized version, the, the pathologized version of, of, of how we refer to, to trauma and to feelings is very individualistic. It's very my body, my trauma, my feelings, my anxiety, my, 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 my. And there is something that is lacking the ecological connection, right? Like maybe my feelings are not just my things, right? Like if I am an inter interwoven, interconnected expression of aliveness that is part of everything, then I can feel other people's feelings. Mm-hmm. Now, we see it now uh, more than ever, things that are happening in, in, in Palestine to the Palestinian people, and we are all feeling it in our hearts. Like You cannot mm-hmm. walk away. Even if you turn all the screens, you still feel it because you are part of it. Mm-hmm. It touches you because you are it, you know? And we feel the, 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 the deep anxiety of the um, ecosystems collapsing, right? Like you, you guys are from Canada, you have these like massive fires, right? Like this mm-hmm. is something that we feel viscerally, mm-hmm. you know? It's not just, oh, I'm, I'm anxious because something, no, like you, you are an expression of aliveness. You, you are the universe experiencing itself. Therefore, you feel it all. You know, so your trauma is not your trauma belongs to you. And it's not something that can only be treated individualistically and locally, right? Which is something that a lot of times our existing Western uh, therapeutic modalities are very focused on. It's something that has to be touched collectively, communally, tribally, naturally, ecologically. Um, And I think this is for me also a lot where this journey with sensuality and sensual alchemy and this connecting to the interconnectedness of all things through my human experience, through my feelings, through my body. It's not an embodiment that is individualistic and devoid of connection to the whole. It's the complete opposite. 
It's how my feelings are the direct expression of aliveness, just pulsating through my body in this moment and how that can be expressed in this as artistic output, you know? Mm-hmm. It strikes me that the way that you speak um, about this, it feels like it comes from like your whole life. Like it, it doesn't seem, you don't sound like these are concepts that you have studied in like a training program that you are now delivering to other people. This sounds like, and you mentioned your mom. Um, it sounds like these are like part of the fabric of, Mm. of you and sounds like it's been that way for most of your life. And I'm wondering if you would share a little bit about your upbringing with regards to subjects of this matter and how, what, what your influences are, um, that, that past and, and present that lead you in this work. I, um, I'm always trying to find fresh and more relatable language that anybody regardless of their beliefs, values, sets of preferences, and, you know, can, if not immediately connect to, at least think about it, open their mind to it, and then go and try it out and maybe have a direct experience. So I really believe in having, uh, seeking truth through self-evident direct experience, because, you know, we can learn everything from, from the, the, the nature around us. We can learn everything from our living experience, from our body, from our emotional aliveness. And so, yeah, definitely what I'm talking about is like living experience, um, which of course um, comes together with mentors and teachers and trainings and like readings and, 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 and research and a lot of other people's work that I'm inspired by. But nevertheless, the way that I express that, I like to do it in a way that is like find fresh language that is not convoluted with existing narratives or spiritual, spiritually sound language, but something that is ecological, that is directly experienced. So upbringing. <laughs> um, I was born in Israel. I was born to a secular, to secular parents in a pretty kind of spiritually gravitating household. My parents were like had like Indian gurus and like did like pranayama and meditations. And my dad had these experiences with psychedelics. And right when I was about 10, uh, we turned completely Jewish Orthodox religious. Mm. And I was moved from the Waldorf school um, in a town north of Tel Aviv, um, to which is a democratic school for those of you who don't know, um, to the Cheder, which is like the most strict boys only, studying only the the, the scriptures all day, like longer days and so on. Wow! And so forth. How old were you when the, when that transition happened? It was 10, 11, or like third grade. Shit. I think it's wow. 10, huh? yeah. God, that that must have been so. Uh... That must have been so drastic. Like what a what Jarring. a yeah, what a wild trans like especially at that age. <laughs> Holy shit. It, 
it's interesting. A lot of people always like uh, have this reaction and they're like, oh, that must have been traumatic. But the way that I remember it, at least, maybe it was, maybe it was, but the way that I remember it was from a very curious childlike perspective. Like sure. I just remember myself um, in the first days uh, in the new uh, environment and everybody around me have payas, which is what the Jewish boys have, uh, mm-hmm. these like pieces of hair that they leave on the side and, and yarmulka. And I still had the haircut, the like a uh, mushroom. I don't know if you remember in the nineties, yeah. it was very, yeah, totally. very I in for kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All the nineties kids. Um, so I still had this one and, and I looked around and everybody are like, um, uh, going b- backward and forward, just as Jewish people do in the, in the prayer, just, you know, like moving wow. and I'm looking around and I'm like, just where am I? And I just, I remember very vividly starting to just copy them because like you, you're a kid, you're like, you're like, where am I? So I just started like, just like nodding like this, just looking, oh, no, okay. just looking. <laughs> um, so that was, a, that was a very interesting experience. I think I started developing resistance to this environment a lot later. And when I started growing up and kind of, I still had, um, so my parents sent me to the most like extreme Orthodox school, but they, their movement back into Orthodox Judaism was a lot more gradual. So I was already in the most thing and they were still um, kind of like taking the time a little bit slower. Mm. And they li- we lived in a beautiful um, village um, in the mountains near Jerusalem, a place called Bet Meir, which used to be um, a thriving Palestinian um, uh, village called Bet Mahsil. Just important to mention in light of what is going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Occupied territory. Yeah. And I remember, like I still had friends that were not super extremely like orthodox, like the rest of the people around me. And this is where I started having some doubts. And I also remembered things from before, right? Like I still grew up um, in a different environment. And this is where I started to have like questions and kind of like become more rebellious when I was like hitting, I don't know, 13, 14, hitting puberty. Um, of course, I mean, boys only institutes uh, masturbation is highly forbidden. Um, there's a lot of sh- guilt and shame around that as well. Um, I also have relatives that are not uh, orthodox. So I, I kind of like, I started becoming more rebellious. I started asking questions that I didn't like and I was getting punished. And I remember I had a guitar and I would, I, I love, I always loved, I was always like looking for artistic expression. I would play guitar. And I remember vividly like the the rabbi the man, the re- manager rabbi of of my yeshiva um came to my room and like took my guitar away put it in his office because he said it uh, distracts me from the study of the scriptures and i just remember like this time was like this where i started feeling like a caged animal and maybe that i'm not where i'm supposed to be and i started having a lot more arguments with my parents about like this you know, path that we are walking and so on. Eventually I went to the army, which is mandatory in Israel. And I went into the army still with Yarmulka on my head. Um, and I went against my will. Um, I was already a pacifist when I went into, into the army and I was not as informed as I am today. 
I was just 17, 18, like your friends going to the army, you go to the army. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was already kind of wary about what, what is going on. And obviously three years serving in the Israeli army, some of it in the West Bank, taught me everything that I need to know to really be, uh, to wake up around what is going on and what Israel is all about and what Zionism is all about and kind of mm. really opened my eyes. A lot of the violence that I saw, a lot of the, um, in 2005, when Israel uh, went out of the occupied territory or the occupied settlements in the West Bank, I was actually there because I had family members that lived there. So I, I was there when they took us on the buses and evacuated us out of it. Um, so, mm. you know, I, I really lived the what everybody is seeing now in the news, it's my living experience. Mm. And still in the army, I was questioning the narrative all the time. Like when you're in the Israeli army, you have these like uh, history lessons that they give you to kind of brainwash you into the Zionist narrative of how we are protecting the, all this kind of stuff. And I was starting to question it. And I always, I always asked questions. I always said, why, why are you doing this? This is not okay. This is not, you know, stuff like that. And obviously they hate me for it. So I did a lot of kitchen, um, kitchen work, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is like what they give you to punish you. Mm-hmm. And eventually I went out of the, finally finished my, my three years counting days, um, in the army. And I remember feeling viscerally liberated. Like I, 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 at this point, I felt really choked from my existence in Israel as, as a country, as a place, from where I grew up in the, like where my family is and uh, still is, <laughs> and the, the kind of gap that is, was growing between us and on the ground of religious beliefs. And I just felt really like I couldn't take it anymore. And mm-hmm. um, I had my first girlfriend, I met my first girlfriend first sex uh, when I was in the Israeli army, when I was like 21, so quite a late bloomer. And I felt this deep desire to go and explore. I was like, I want to travel the world, try all the psychedelic substances. I discovered LSD when I was in the army. It was one of the things that kind of allowed me to kind somehow finish the army with my mental mm-hmm. health intact, with my sanity intact. It really, really helped me. And I was like, I want to try all the psychedelics, go to festivals um, and explore sexuality um, in all of its forms. Hmm. And that's how the next uh, 10 years looked like for me. Right when I left the army, the day, the day that I was, was released, I bought my first flight ticket to uh, Europe and haven't came back for a visit for like two and a half years. Um, was really informed by this kind of... Um, pressure that I, that I felt as I was growing up and through serving in the Israeli army and living, um, under the Israeli regime, <laughs> as I like mm. to call it now. And yeah, I can tell you more, but, um, yeah, this is a, I think a, a good background. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, I just, I, I always love hearing people's origin stories. Um, I think that, I, I think that no matter how boring one might think their life might be, everybody has like a really fascinating story to tell. Um, and yeah, I mean, you've, you've like, you really have lived a very, very fascinating life. Um, and so interesting too, to see like the first 10 years of your life were spent in what seems like a really progressive sort of loose 
you know, like upbringing that like if, if that continued, it would have made complete sense that, you know, to be having this conversation that we're having with you right now. But then to see you go from that to this extremely orthodox upbringing and then and then into, and we are still having this conversation. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. And it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just I it's it's uh, it's fascinating. And thank you. Like, thank you for sharing. Um, thank you for sharing all of that. And and for, you know, for just putting all of that into context, because I think it, um, yeah, just, it really, I, I mean, it really adds to, um, hearing your experience, I think just really adds to the, the authenticity of, of what we've been hearing about the work that you do, which is, I don't know. I'm, I'm really, I, you know, I, I, I don't come into many of the episodes with any expectations, but, um, but this conversation with you has really sort of, I think it's really just going to stick with me. Like you're, you're, you're very, uh, you're very fascinating individual and it's, it's really easy to just listen to you speak about this thing that you are so passionate about. Um, and I'm really, I'm really grateful that you, you took time out of your schedule to sit down and chat with us. This has been really, really enjoyable for people that, you know, I'm sure that there's, there's a few people listening right now that are in the same boat as me. Um, how can people find you and stay up to date with the work that you're doing? Um, what's the best way to, to get in touch? Um, I think, first of all, thank you. <laughs> um, I'm uh, blushing here. <laughs> um, I think the best way is to either uh, visit my website, um, my All of my stuff is there. I think besides my couples program, which is something that I'm just launching now, so it's not on the website yet. So if someone is interested, better go to any of my social media. I'm mostly I'm most active on TikTok and YouTube, um, but you can write me on Instagram. I answer all the DMs. You can email me. Um, I'm always open and welcoming conversations with people, and really open to doing the best that I can to either help them myself or direct them to whatever whoever can can help them most and uh, yeah thank you so much for having me that was genuinely and I'm really saying it genuinely because it's real the most enjoyable podcast interview that I've had so far <laughs> well now we're blushing <laughs> God damn it. Uh, yeah, and I'm going to reiterate <laughs> what Jeremy said too. I, I'm all built. I'll be definitely this. I feel, uh, I actually feel sort of buoyant um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. looking forward to sort of turned like, on, one might say. Uh, mm-hmm. you know? Mike, and looking forward to bringing that out <laughs> yeah, to the rest yeah. of my day, to be honest. Yeah, go transmit that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love a beautiful story. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you again. And just for, for folks, uh, 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 Y-U-V-A-L-M-A-N.com. But your, your socials are man with two N's, correct? Yeah. Okay, perfect. So, so Yuvalman, two N's with N, two N's with man uh, on the socials. But the website is Yuvalman with one N. And that'll all be in the show It'll notes. It'll be in the show notes. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's just, but sometimes people just, you know, sometimes people just want to know. Yeah. Uh, Yuval, you're, you're, a, you're a true gem, man. Thank you so much for, for this conversation. It's been, it's been an absolute delight. Absolutely my pleasure. All right, there we have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation that we just had. And uh, 
Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the podcast further, you can do that by leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app. And uh, if you want to uh, support the podcast even further than that, which you can. Wow. You can You're go to so kind and thoughtful and so generous. Thoughtful, so generous. Go to patreon.com slash turn me on uh, to become a patron and help us uh, keep this podcast afloat. Well, if you want to reach out to us, turn me on podcast at gmail.com is always open for all of your messages. That's the best way to get in touch. If you have a question for us, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have a recommendation for a guest on the show, or if you just want to send us a little love note, uh, email money transfer, uh, all of that sex toy, <laughs> you know, we're, we're our email inbox is open to you. That is it for this week. Until next week. Why don't you go touch yourself? What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.